You're listening to Thinking Outside the Bud, where we speak with entrepreneurs, investors, thought leaders, researchers, advocates, and policymakers who are finding new and exciting ways for cannabis to positively impact business, society, and culture. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. Our guest today is Tony Khan. She is founder and CEO at Green Bliss CFO. We're going to talk about the world of cannabis. We're going to talk about the world of accounting, finance. I think as most people who've been listening to this program know, the financial aspects of running a cannabis-based business can get a little complicated for all sorts of reasons, a lot of them having to do with the legal status, but there's a lot of kind of complexities that actually come into play that may not be obvious for a lot of folks. So we're going to talk about some of this. We're going to talk about Tony's experience in cannabis and kind of what she's seeing in the world and how um, how we see things playing out. There's a lot of kind of changes and sort of evolutions that are happening in cannabis right now. And do a little bit of thinking through like how some of these changes are going to affect companies and the industries and, and what people might need to be prepared for, at least have a plan for, should some of these things come into play and how it might change the business. So with all that, Tony, welcome to the program. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Before we kind of dive into what you're doing today in terms of finance and cannabis, just a little backstory. How do you get into finance in general? How do you get into accounting? How do you get into cannabis? What's the story? Yeah, accounting is actually part two of my life. I originally got a psychology and counseling degree. I thought I was going to be a marriage and family therapist. Interesting. And that (laughs) didn't work out for, you know, the recession happened Uh and, you know, other things happened. And through multiple different positions, I realized that I really like accounting and the nuance of it and just being the support back end healer monkey as we say in D, you know I like it yeah <laughs> help help you when you're done and at the same time you do look forward as well for like tax preparation and we do planning uh-huh. and it just i started in the automotive industry and then moved into construction and then one of my friends got me into the canvas industry and it's been great ever since and i'm always curious when people are coming from other industries and kind of get involved in cannabis like what did you anticipate like kind of no you knew that was going to be a bit of a challenge or change for you or you needed to kind of flex and what were you kind of surprised by when when you first started working with or getting involved with cannabis companies the difference in the attitude of the business owners in cannabis is something that i wasn't expecting like they're so down to earth and like particularly when i go to conferences like when people are walking by or you don't know who's a business owner and who isn't because yeah, yeah. they, they look like just like regular people. It's not like, oh, they're wearing a suit. They're a business owner. It's just like, you're like, hey, what are you doing here? They're like, oh, I want to start a lounge. Like, no way. You want to talk to me? I'm like, yeah. Like, you're here. What's your story? And I mean, everyone has a story, too, which is fantastic. Yeah. Like, get into the, the psychology bit. And then 
the science piece of it is what really pulls me in because like with my own personal health journey and what's going on with that and the alternative medicine and cannabis checks a lot of boxes for me. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Oh, interesting. And what, given your background in, in family therapy, has there been any application of what you learned there to what you do today? Oh, absolutely. I mean, when you'd be surprised how many states don't require psychology when you go to college. I think Michigan is one. I, being in Michigan, we're one of the few states that's still hanging on to psychology being a requirement for a college degree. And you don't even need a college degree to start a business. So absolutely, like psychology is absolutely needed how to deal with people. Uh-huh. And, um, even with the counseling part, just bringing into like active listening and the motivations behind things. And I mean, I'm a huge nerd in general. So if I didn't already have the background in psychology to begin with, I, w- I would just add it to my repertoire anyway, just to be more well-rounded. Yeah. 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 I was, it's, um, I find that any, anyone that's kind of in service businesses, um, particularly professional services should have a degree in psychology. <laughs> just like understanding people and how they work and dealing with conflict and communication. And like, I often find, you know, we're, we're in these positions of having to navigate interpersonal issues when we're advising companies. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, you, the differences between the clients and how they come to things, because some are like 20 years old and they just want to make money and have yeah, fun. Yeah. And then you have others who are like, they're like, I've been doing this forever. And this is just another thing that my friend told me I should do because yeah. they're doing it too. And that's the other fascinating part about the business world and cannabis in general. And I mean, cannabis covers, there's so much you can do with it both on the hemp side and the THC side and the CBD side. And I mean, that in and of itself is a whole rabbit hole of of research, even outside the accounting. But yet you need to know an assemblance of all of it so that you can be successful. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So let's talk about when you get involved in cannabis. I mean, uh, tell me a little bit about the, the first, you know, kind of cannabis company you worked with and how did you begin to understand some of the nuances that cannabis companies face when it comes to finances and taxes and things like that. Yeah. Well, 280E obviously throws a wrench into everything. Yeah. Because a lot, particularly retailers, like there are two, like IRC 471 is the only thing you can come to the table with as far as putting things in inventory and then in cost of goods sold. Mm-hmm. Well, on the retail side, there's not a whole lot you can do. And I mean, running retail is hard enough as it is. But then you add 280E on top of it, and it's even harder. And your so, accounting needs to be even better. You need to be on point. Yeah. So let, let's dig into that a little bit. Just I think, you know, people, I'm sure I've heard, or like if you've done much in cannabis, you've heard of 280E. But let's really kind of unpack it from a, what does 280E actually say? And, and then... You know, you're talking about cost of goods sold and how that affects retailers versus, you know, other parts of the of the chain. How does it affect different parts of, you know, whether you're a grower or a processor or a retailer, how it actually comes into play when it looks at the company finances? Yeah. So 280 essentially says if you're trafficking, you're not able to take the ordinary and necessary deductions that normal businesses take. Which would be what? Like what, what What? would a normal business take? Yeah. Well, those hiring me, they would be able to write my services off. Uh-huh. But for cannabis, you can't do that. So I've got to, I can't deduct that from my business. I've got to pay tax on the money before I pay you. Yep. Okay. And so 
like for for the different let's just go through the the grower versus processor versus retailer like how does that like how does that actually show up in terms of how they do how they handle their expenses and what's deductible and what's not yeah it can get really nuanced particularly when you get into the processing and the cultivation space when you're wearing multiple hats and you're you're on the floor for some of your time and then you're at your computer doing some you know, whatever CEO, marketing, whatever 17 hats you have that aren't on the floor at the time, you really need to make sure that you track your time accordingly. So that way on the back end, we can go, okay, you are on the floor for this amount of time, that part of your salary, that goes into involving inventory and cost of goods sold so that we can help reduce your net income. Whereas the other parts, the back end part, you can't really throw that in because it's not involved in growing or manufacturing whatever it is that you're selling. And when it comes to retail, the only thing you're looking at is the cost of bringing the product in and the shipping of bringing that in. And that's about it. So so some of the stuff is just based on the nature of the expense. Some of it is based on the role you can kind of parse out or allocate a certain percentages of labor costs to these things based on some activity heuristics? Yep, absolutely. And I guess, is this, I'm trying to think how to answer this or ask this question, like, is it very clear based on 280E, like, okay, yeah, we can do this, or this is exactly how we should do it? Or I guess how, how much, like, gray is there and exactly what would constitute, like, how, how much do you have to kind of deal with the gray zones and making kind of judgment calls and sort of seeing, all right, well, we can be more or less aggressive and these are the risks with it. Yeah, there's quite a bit of gray. Um, 471, there are charts that you can look at where it details like this, yes, this maybe, this absolutely not. But then again, you also want to factor in court cases as well, tax court cases, particularly in cases where businesses have like non-CANA sections where they try and like throw all their money in there and they're like, we'll just throw all all the revenue over there. And Mm -hmm. And then we can deduct it all. I'm like, well, no, like there are things that you need to pay attention to on whether that's going to work or not. Like, and that's not to say that you can't have a non-CANA entity to be able to take normal and necessary deductions like a normal business, but you need to be very nuanced and succinct so that when the IRS comes in, it's not if the IRS is coming, it's when, and they're like... Show us how year, you come up with this. And yeah. they're, they're a few years out, so you definitely want to make sure you're on point like now uh-huh. and into the future because there are tax court examples. So for the Champs case, for example, they won. And the only reason why they won and they were able to... What's, what's the background on the case? Give us a little background on the case so we understand what they were trying to do. The Champs, they are a, they're a wellness center originally and they added okay. Canna on the side. So okay. most of their revenue is non-canoff and they had everything separated. So all of their employees, all of their equipment, different buildings, different facilities, is everything it? was completely separate. So when the IRS came in, they were like, oh, well, we see you have this many employees for this and this many employees for that. Your books are totally separate and your revenue for cannabis is like 2%. I don't remember off the yeah, top of my head how much it was. Yeah. yeah, it's small. So you have to be really, really careful about having different entities. And that's the other thing, going to different consultants where we're like, oh, we have multiple entities to do this and that. The other thing I'm like, 
I'm like, please don't do that to try and get around to ADE. Yeah, Asset fair. protection is completely a different, different game. Yeah. But for 280E, please don't do that. And why? Because it just makes it more complicated or? Because it just doesn't work. Like doesn't the IRS, work. the IRS is going to follow the revenue. They're going to be like, oh, they're going to trace it, it back. from, yeah. yeah, they're not dumb. Like they're going <laughs> to find it. <laughs> yes. And I guess that's a good, a good thing to assume is the IRS is not dumb. We're going to take a quick break to hear some words from our sponsors. And now back to our program. I, so, so I guess, so you give us some examples on the, uh, on production, on, on growing. How does this affect like a processor, like, you know, or like a lab or something like that? Like someone who's kind of in between is not really growing, but is not on the retail side. Where do they fall in terms of how 280E affects them? Yeah. It's similar to like delivery as well. They're more of in the gray area where it depends yeah. on like, well, who, or is it just a pass-through thing? Like, is ownership of the product being shifted for a time? Because if they own it, then that's possession. And then, yeah, yeah. so it does get a little more So this as a delivery company. It's like, are you, are you merely like Grubhub? You're just moving this thing for a third party? Or are you temporarily taking, yeah, temp- temporarily taking ownership, custody of the product? I guess, how do you determine that? Like, what's the litmus test from a legal, from an IRS point of view? It, I mean, you would have to look at the the contracts between the two. The two I mean, parties, yeah. Yeah, the two parties, you'd have to look and see, like, does ownership actually shift? Because with normal delivery companies, it depends on what type of freight you use. Because for some, as soon as you ship it, regardless of whether they have it or not, the person who's getting it owns it or you can do it the other way where the person who sends it owns it until it's physically at the other location there's different ways to do it and it yeah delivery is is complicated at this point we don't have any tax court information on those yet are there any these are things that are pending or did they just haven't been tested in court they just haven't been brought up in court yet Yeah. yeah how about for someone like a laboratory where you know it's really a you know, it's laboratory services, you know, but they are, they're taking product and testing in various ways. Like how would that, you know, do they get tainted as a cannabis company and they can't deduct normal business expenses? Yes. Yeah. It's similar to, to the same thing, particularly because they have it, they're physically holding it for longer than delivery. So they have to go through the same rigmarole of, of these things can't be deducted. So therefore they've got to incorporate that into their costs. They've got to pay taxes on the stuff before they can pay it out. Yeah. Yeah. And as far as, I mean, what cost of goods sold, cost of goods sold involves your net income. It's decreasing your net income before you get into your, your tax liability. And it, it, I mean, running a business is hard enough as it is, but then you throw (laughs) to ADE and it, and it just, it hamstrings so many people. And with Biden just announcing, he's like, oh, he's like, we're going to decriminalize it. I'm like, you don't realize what decriminalizing means, right? Like, if nobody can be criminalized by possessing marijuana, that means you're descheduling it altogether. Is that what you're really saying? Yeah. So let's, and what would that mean from an IRS point of view? If it was de scheduled completely, then it would uh-huh. be treated like any other federally. Like we would have state regulations like so alcohol for example Uh technically it's not federally legal either it's still by the states however with alcohol you don't have the the 280e part of it because 
alcohol was never thought of as being a terrible drug. Because 280E has this reference to illegal activity, or I can't remember, illegal substance or something. I'm always. 280E involves schedules one and two. Okay, so it's only so schedule one and two substances. So if they either deschedule it or move it to schedule three, then that would solve 280E. 280E would no longer apply, correct? Yeah, you'd have other uh, regulations you'd have to look at. Yeah, I mean, the other things that would come into play because you're still a scheduled substance, but at least 280E doesn't come into play. Yep. <laughs> so I guess, I mean, for these companies, like, what do they do? Like, right now, like, I, they just, uh, you know, grin and bear it and try to make as much money as they can. And and, and so they've got enough cash or they've, get, they've got enough profit to be able to pay the taxes, you know, for these Cost of goods sold to people just like they can't afford a lot of normal business expenses. I mean, what, what do you see in terms of actual behavior inside these companies? It comes into a lot of planning. You From the beginning, your funding needs to be more than a normal business because you're not going to have that regular normal tax deduction alleviation like other businesses. And then mm-hmm. you're going to need... If you have inventory, you're going to need more employees because you need to have cycle counts. You need to have your physically count your inventory every month because yeah. your state seed to sale system is not going to be mm-hmm. accurate. That's not going to talk to your inventory system, your accounting system, your state seed to sale system. They don't talk to each other very well. There are some yeah. companies that are trying to integrate, but they're still going to be off. Mm-hmm. So that so accounting is going to be more complex and more expensive because there's a lot of manual work that we still need to do to make sure that we're able to compliantly lower your taxes. That's one of the reasons why having someone who's involved in the cannabis industry and knows how to master and work with 280 is is so important because not everyone yeah. knows about it and what how intricate and intense and complicated the cost accounting yeah. needs to be to make it work well. Yeah. And and is, uh, I guess, how stable is 280E? I mean, are there things that are, are still being kind of played out in court and cases that would change some of the nuances or how you would actually kind of navigate some of the 280 stuff? Or is at this point, is it's pretty stable? I mean, it was a court case that brought about 280E in the first place. Yeah. There was, I mean, someone was selling drugs and they're like, this is part of my business. I'm deducting it. And the IRS went, whoa, whoa, yeah. hold the phone. Like, yeah. excuse you? Um, No, you. I'm sorry. You can't do that. Well, but they, they actually, they won. I mean, this was the case in they Minnesota. Did. Yeah, yeah, which they, caused they, 280 they to be win. written. <laughs> they did win then, but then the IRS went, we don't want to do this again. So yeah. <laughs> we're, we're shutting which this is, down. <laughs> which is interesting because like right when marijuana got into the point to where federally it was an issue, it was it was wartime and mm-hmm. we had hemp supply issues. And so we were like, ooh, well, like, let's pause that for a minute because we can't get hemp overseas anymore. So let's let's pause this this tax bit and let's start growing <laughs> hemp again so that our boys can go to war and we could have things and then we'll just flip the switch when we're done and it just convenient it doesn't make sense like i've i've read articles where the founding fathers like it was such a useful plant that they mandated that it was grown yeah yeah, yeah but, it's just the the irony and all this is is thick <laughs> uh, well and 
You know, the other thing I did I find, and certainly as you're talking about this, is is coming to me is I, I guess where do you draw the line between finance and operations? Right? Because uh, there's there's part of this which is just, oh, okay, how to report my tax liability, but then there's a bunch of things in here that are really about how should I run my business? Like how how do you kind of navigate the you know, we're we're a, an accounting firm versus operational consulting? It's a very fine line and I mean, I can tell you for my firm, like we're involved in your operations. Like my network is vast for expertise to help you with whatever you need from facility design to pest management to (laughs) whatever, whatever it is to even those that are going into the beverage industry. I mean, they'll consult you as far as getting equipment or if you already have it they'll help you with the efficiency and it's i'm not going to say it's mandatory but it's highly encouraged that you hire other experts to make sure that your operations are seamless and running effectively and efficiently so that your overhead is lower which means you will have more profits which means you'll be able to take more home for yourself and do whatever passion projects that you're looking to do. There are plenty of companies that I come into contact with. They're like, ah, they're like, I like cannabis, but I really want to do this other thing over here that (laughs) they're like, nobody wants to pay for it. It's just going to be a thing that I'm do. I do when I have a bunch of money and I just want to help people. And I mean, the, the community and the service in the cannabis industry is I mean, I found is a lot higher than other industries that I've been involved in. Why? Why do you think that is? Thinking before I speak here, yeah, the, yeah, that's fine. I mean, the story of of what's gone on with cannabis and the war on drugs, and I mean, we've come to a point where we're like, listen, I'm like, we just want to be able to do what everybody else can do, and it's it's not fair that we're not able to, and it's it's a very big underdog story and it's we're starting to come around with the fact that the president of the united states is like hey i want to do this we're like cool (laughs) not sure if it's actually going to work out but the fact that he's bringing it to the forefront of everyone's minds is going to do something yeah yeah that's first step so what are you kind of focused on i mean is is federal legalization descheduling rescheduling is that kind of Top of mind, I know we've kind of had various attempts at Safe Banking Act. I mean, would that really kind of solve the problem for you? Like, what what's most interesting, or what do you think is really changes that would help the industry most in terms of being sustainable and profitable, and you know, help the industry thrive? Safe banking is a big one, both for the business and also for their their employees. There are plenty of employees that work at a cannabis industry; they can't get mortgages, yeah, or they can't like chase shuts them down because they have dirty money and mm-hmm. the other thing safe banking would solve a lot of problems particularly when it comes to payment processing mm-hmm. because there's a lot of payment processing issues particularly in the cashless atm route they try and push they're like oh well it says the the name of, of the dispensary on the bank statement. I'm like, that's fine, but it still says ATM withdrawal, and that's not what this is. 
This Wait, is... explain that one again. So what are, what are people doing? Cashless ATMs, uh-huh. long story short, they're essentially an ATM in the store that's meant to process payment for purchasing cannabis and the purchaser shows up on their bank statement as an ATM withdrawal as opposed to purchasing cannabis. So they're trying to get around the fact that they purchased cannabis by saying it's an ATM withdrawal instead of, no, you bought weed. But it's not, they're not literally, they're not taking cash from an ATM and paying for the weed. It's literally transactions. The the cash is never coming into play. They're just getting the weed. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. It's just the payment is moving from one bank to another and it's put on the bank statement as an ATM withdrawal, even though cash never physically moved, like from hands to another. It's completely on the back end and it's it's money laundering and so many, they're like, so many use it. I'm like, just because it's quote normal <laughs> or people are doing it does not mean that it's right. Like, and I just, yeah. I feel they're so, I mean, I heard stories of they have like a privacy fee on the... <laughs> The dispensary has to pay for a privacy fee for using this service to be like, oh, well, they're, they're like, we know this is bad. Just pay a privacy <laughs> fee. And it's cool. I'm like, no, what are you doing? <laughs> and and let me tell you what, any customer who calls up their credit card and is like, yo, this is not, yeah. they they call up their bank or their credit card. They're like, they're like, I don't know what this is. They'll get their money back. One hundred percent of the time, like it's it's so risky and it's illegal and it's not. Yeah, not uh, some yeah. some it, say it's a gray area, but I'm like, no, absolutely not. Please don't. This is pretty pretty clearly not. Don't don't touch it with a ten foot pole. Now that there are some payment processing companies that are backed by a bank. Uh huh. They yep they because there are cannabis friendly banks. I'm part of the Dope CFO network. Uh, we have. Over 400 of us nationwide, all we do is cannabis accounting. So we have EAs, CPAs, bookkeepers, attorneys. We actually have a spreadsheet in there by state of cannabis-friendly banks because there's so many of us and so many people need help. We have a running list of cannabis-friendly banks. And I have come across some payment processing companies that are backed by a cannabis-friendly bank. So you are able to use their technology to accept payment other than cash. There are others who are backed by a, quote, stable coin. Okay. Uh, I don't know how stable it is. (laughs) But, I mean, I guess that's a way to try and get around it. I wouldn't do it. And why? Just because of the the coin stability is really not that stable? Or, like, what's the, what don't you like about it? I, it seems too risky for me, the way that the virtual coin market goes up and down. Like, yeah, it's stable now, but for how long? Yeah. And is it, like, how long is this coin going to be viable? Yeah. Interesting. So how how do you typically work with companies? Like, what is your engagement typically look like? How are you advising them? Like, what what is it? How do you actually work with some of these cannabis folks? We start with discovery call, just kind of get a, a lay of the land, seeing you know where you're at, what's working, what's not working, what your goals are, and then based and I get more information on uh, your different entities, employees, you know, basic information just to judge the complexity, and from there 
we look at different packages. And then with onboarding, we look at setting up what we call a perpetual data room, where it's your a digital storage solution that you own, be it on Google Drive or Box or Dropbox or whichever digital storage solution you want. So all of your documents and your work papers and your receipts are going to be on your storage solution. So you don't have to come to me <laughs> or if something doesn't work out, you're like, hey, can I get my stuff before you leave? Like, no, like you own it. It's yours. You just give me access to it. Same thing with your accounting software. So we get all of that set up, do any cleanup as needed, and then move on to day-to-day, month-to-month accounting, taxes, planning. Yep. Yeah. Anything that you don't do? Any any areas that you start to stay clear of from? I'm not going to say we don't do compliance, but it's definitely as far as like OSHA and other more nuanced or like HR uh, we don't do that, but what we do do is like bookkeeping, accounting, taxes, CFO services, your cost accounting, and payroll as well. If other expertise are needed, like HR or other operations experts that need to come into play just to tweak and fill in some holes and make you Got more it. efficient, then have a pretty good network for that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I always find that the um, a good professional service provider has a good network of folks that do what they don't do. <laughs> like they know they know where their kind of play area is and, and where it's not, and how they kind of bring in the right folks to be able to do the right things for some of these things because it's it can get a little complicated. Definitely important. I have to say, one of my favorites is a an indirect supply company. So they help you with like your your PPE, all of your trimming tools, uh-huh. and things like that but instead of having like five different companies dealing with different things like they do it all and they deliver it all once so instead yeah. of having five different companies delivering like five times a day you have to stop what you're doing yeah figure out what's going on yeah I get it really it. helps I get on it. the floor yeah Tony this has been a pleasure if people want to find out more about you about the work that you do what's the best way to get that information they can find me on my website, which is greenblisscfo.com, or they can email me, tony at greenblisscfo.com. I'm also on LinkedIn under Tony Khan and Instagram as well, greenblisscfo. I'll make sure that all those are in the show notes so people can get that information. Tony, thank you so much for taking the time today. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely. Thank you so much. That's it for this episode of Thinking Outside the Bud. Be sure to subscribe using your favorite podcast app so you don't miss our future episodes. See you next time. You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets and access other great content. Visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter.